<laughs> hey everyone, y'all are, y'all are funny. Um, I'm really excited for today. It is going to be a special time of testimony. We're going to continue testifying. Our roots did that. They modeled it for us. It was great. These testimonies aren't going to be about cars or road trouble, and I hope that that's okay, um, but maybe there'll be some more of that later. Uh, but I'm really excited to just share more about what we're doing in Lent. This is a season for us that's really special at our church. Uh, we are marking time before uh, we get to Holy Week. We're acknowledging, remembering, and in a weird way, celebrating. Celebrating Jesus' sacrifice for us, his sacrifice on the cross. And that will lead into our Easter celebration on uh, Easter Sunday. If you didn't know, Easter Sunday is March 31st. I know we can do math well, it's the 40 days, but sometimes we're surprised by March 31st is Easter. I'm surprised each time I look at that date. It's early. It could snow. I hope it doesn't, but it could. Moving on. Um, One of the interesting things about this season is we're asking God to use the time that we give him. And in fact, we're giving God our time. It's time in prayer. It's time in confession. It's time in repentance. It's time uh, at services like this. We're just saying in a different way, God, have our time. And last week I talked about how time is one of our most precious resources, and we can often not give it to God, not give it to God's people, not give it to those around us who really need it. We're going to try to do that in this season. We do that through prayer. We just heard from Chris a few of the opportunities, the Lenten intercession on Wednesdays and Thursdays. On uh, In service, we do something uh, on Wednesdays at Sunrise Cafe. That's Wednesdays at 6.30. Todd, raise your hand, Todd, if you don't mind. He's going to be a really helpful point person for you if you'd like to serve breakfast and do so in the company of folks uh, that uh, could use encouragement, could use some support. We also have a youth program on Monday nights called Youth Out Limits. Joel and John Ashley, can you guys raise your hands? Um, if you want more information about how to serve young people, uh, you can do that. Uh, we also have uh, things related to nonviolence and work uh, combating gang violence. Uh, there's actually a really exciting update I can give you. Uh, we mark every month if there's a homicide, and we do that through a liturgy for homicide, and then we say we celebrate when there's no homicides. We've had like two of those. February, we hope in a few days, will be another one of those months. We can pray for that, we can celebrate that. Uh, there's no homicides this month. And as a nonviolence group, we said, what can we do to celebrate? Especially given that there's been more youth homicides lately, young people who are being killed. We said, you know what? How about we buy uh, tickets for a trampoline park? Now, no, some of you don't like trampoline parks. That's okay. But kids, they really like them. And so we want to do something for them to celebrate and to say, like, this is something we want to give freely. And so we're doing some math on that, getting some uh, dates. I found out that you know, weekend dates aren't popular because guess what? People pay on the weekend. They're like, hey, can you come during the week? I'm like, dang it, you're giving us like the worst time. But we're trying to figure that out, so pray for us. But hopefully within the first few weeks of March, we can celebrate with young people uh, that there haven't been homicides in February. And hopefully we can celebrate again, but they don't happen in March or April or May. We want to do real things that our city would recognize such that we're excited and even waiting together more than ECV, but beyond that, so we can celebrate these moments in time. We're also discerning together about what we might do as a community to continue serving the poor and marginalized, to continue acting and seeing what God has for us. I've told stories about how in COVID we did, uh, before COVID we did more, COVID kind of shut a lot of things down. We're in a place where we're trying to do more. So we want people to discern with us. Just wanna cover a few things before we get into some more testimonies. This has been a, a verse for us as a church that's really mattered. Basically seek the peace of the city you're in because in its peace, you'll find your own. 
That's one of the invitations for us. This, ser- uh, this sermon series called Loving the Poor Through Word and Deed. We have an invitation as a church to seek the peace of the city. And we want to love the poor, not just through testimony, not just through talk, but actually through what we do. We need both. You need good news that has some good action. And if you have good action, good works, you can't do that without sharing the good news of Jesus. That's not fully good news yet. So we want to, in this uh, service right, right now, really unpack more of what we were talking about last week. When we think about the poor, we see Bible verses, and I shared them last week, that talk about giving mercy to the poor, loving the poor. But we can think about what does that look like for us, and who are these folk? Last week, we talked about how it's not just people out there, but they're close to our stories. We asked, have you or your family or someone else you love experienced addiction, incarceration, poverty? And for each one, uh, the majority of the hands went up because it turns out we're all close to this stuff, whether it's in our own story, whether it's been in our family's past, whether it's relatives we know, people we love. It's not just out there. It's in here, in our hearts, people we care for. And we need to be sobered that God calls us to serve us, to serve others, to serve these groups. And we don't have to be ashamed that we've been part of that, that our families are connected to that. Sometimes it's easy just to say, you know, it's not our story. But it turns out it is. And then one verse I want to read for you before we get into some storytelling is that of Matthew 25. Just going to be reading what we did last year, last week, because really what today is is unpacking the opportunities we have to see Matthew 25 in action. Let's read together. I'll read this for us. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people from one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, and gave you food, or thirsty, and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger, and welcomed you, or naked, and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick, or in prison, and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it one of the least of these who are members of my family, You did it to me. But there's still that other group, right? Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
Jesus cares about the poor and marginalized. And apparently when we serve them, when we do things like give food, something to drink, clothe, welcome, take care, visit, it's like doing them unto him. These are serious words from our Savior. He has different ways of saying this. He could, but he says it this way. And one last thing I want to share before we invite some others to speak. I love how this passage, there's surprise. And there's surprise for both parties, right? For sheep and for goat. There's, there's surprise. Like, really, Jesus? You did this for me? And I wonder if the point of this is so that we continue to be surprised. That we'll be surprised in the end. Or is Jesus sharing this so we actually don't feel that surprise anymore? That we know a kingdom secret, those of us who are listening, who have eyes and ears to see and hear. A kingdom secret, that when we spend time with the poor and marginalized, we're getting a different kind of access to Jesus. I don't think he's sharing this so that we too can say, well, Jesus, I don't know. But that we'll know when we spend time, when we care, when we serve, we're actually experiencing the love of God and encountering who he is. I want some other people to share a little bit more about that encounter. We're gonna start with uh, Tina, who will share for us. These are just simple testimonies. We've been trying to kind of get in a rhythm of storytelling as a community, and we did that in the fall, saying when we tell a story, we have a way of seeing Jesus afresh, and there's a, a verse that says it's actually through the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony that we defeat the enemy. So some of these stories battle back darkness. So Tina will model that and share that with us. So I'm going to, I just have a short little um, song to share with y'all, actually. I'm not singing it live. I'm going to play it. But to share a little bit of context, I was a little hesitant even to share this testimony because I'm like, it's not like a, like there's a moral of the story, you know, or like, here's your takeaway, here's what you do, or what you know about Jesus. It's just kind of a, a snippet or a moment um, from a time when I was serving in Agape. Now, you've heard probably us talk about Agape before here. Agape is a ministry for a long time that was led by a group of ECVers in partnership with other folks in the city for, for um, basically like a Bible study and breakfast and church fellowship time for folks, a lot of times folks who are living outside, who are unhoused or in unstable housing situations. And so there's this woman um, for years was just steadfast, one of those steadfast agape folks. Her name is Alberta. And um, she's just beloved, like uh, came every single, pretty much every single Sunday. We spent time together, um, would like share with us sometimes before and after, like we loved Alberta and, um, and we knew a little bit about her. You know, she shared a little bit. She helped take care of other people's kids for work here and there. Her housing situation was, like, not super-duper stable. But we knew that she loved God. We knew that she loved uh, the community. Uh, and she's just, like, one of those people who was steady. And then one of the Sundays, um, after Agape, we're milling about. We're eating breakfast, hanging out. And then there's, like, a commotion at the stairs. And something happened. So she had, like, a heart episode, I think, is what happened. And she, she just, like, passed out and almost fell down the stairs. And it was really, really, really scary. Um, and then the EMTs are up, call the, the, the ambulance. They come. The EMTs arrive. And then they start asking us questions about Alberta. And they're just like, okay, like, what, what's, what's her full name? And then we're all like, uh, do you know? Nobody knew, nobody knew her last name. We just knew her as Alberta. And then they start asking her tons of questions about her life, and then like nobody there could really fully 
answer the questions for the EMT team. And then they start asking questions as they do, you know, trying to assess the situation. She's on, was she on drugs? You know, we're like, no, 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 definitely not. Um, and they take her away, but they can't notify anyone. They didn't, she didn't have any ID on her. And so they just like, there's this experience where they whisked her away to the hospital, this person with like only a first name in the eyes of the authorities. And they just like, then she was like gone. Um, she was, ended up being totally fine. She had an adult daughter, like they ended up visiting with her and she got better and everything was cool. We found out <laughs> her last name eventually. Um, but it was just a moment where I realized, it was, it was reflecting on how, how much um, separated us, you know? Like how little we really were holding and like able to know her and fully hold her in her situation when she didn't share some of the orbits that we shared. Like I was like, oh, like the, I, know, I know lots of people who are share an orbit. Yale graduate and then she didn't have that orbit or like the job the stable job like didn't have that orbit like close relationship with her family she talked about all the time she didn't really have that and so outside of all that she was outside of a kind of being held and known and that made me sad and so I wrote the song that's like a very straightforward song about the experience um, and so I will play it for you as a form of musical sharing of story it's like a minute long Next, I'm going to invite up Judah to share a story. Give it up for Judah. <laughs> you say orbits, and um, I'll share about a woman that I met who I saw panhandling. Our relationship began in 2020. Um, and I asked her her name, and she told me. And when I saw her every week as I would leave a carpool meetup, I would just greet her out my window by name. And I'm not really sure when our conversations 
lengthened, but I began stopping more often as I would see her in other places. Around that time, I picked up this book uh, called I See You by Terrence Lester, who's a pastor, an activist, and a homeless advocate. And his work was simple. It just encouraged me to continue to show up, to gently ask questions, and to help with basic needs. But most often, she shared with me that her most basic need was having someone to talk to and spend time with her. Over time, I witnessed the harassment and hurt that my neighbors were capable of, shouting at her, throwing water bottles and coins at her out of their windows, dropping off expired food, bags of clothes, and one time three giant bags full of emptied cans for her to somehow figure out what to do with. Their hurtfulness and their thoughtlessness towards her compelled me to show up even more and to find out from her what was actually helpful. And soon, she began to show up for me. When I faced my own illness, frustration, despair, she became a trusted confidant and encouraged her because that was her gift. See, what had compelled her into complete homelessness was that her father, whom she was living with and caregiving for, had a stroke. And they lost the apartment and everything in it when he went into a long-term care facility. In time, I was able to connect her with some services through 211. And in the process, I got a formal, informal education in street advocacy. But eventually, I got an education in street chaplaincy. You see, her father died, and because he was so poor, the funeral home was willing to cremate him at no charge. But the time she was living in a broken down van and had nowhere where she could keep his remains safe. So I worked with the funeral home to intern him in their family plot. And then she asked me to give the eulogy at the internment. The only people there attending were her, her boyfriend, me, my son, and the funeral director. This was the hardest thing she'd ever asked me to do, and yet it gave me formal ground to speak the gospel into her life, and it propelled me into this work of theology and social justice that I'm now in graduate school studying. I still meet her every week on the street. She is not free from all that holds her. Homelessness and all that comes with it has ravaged her body and most of her relationships. But in our friendship, she knows that there is nothing we can't talk about, and she knows that she is loved. Last year when I went to Iceland, she asked me to see her before I left. Someone had given her a gift card to Marshalls. She took the bus, and she used it to buy me a warm sweater and a scarf to take on my trip. From her lack, she gave. And in our relationship, I find Jesus again and again. Lester writes that after being seen in her darkest moment by God, Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. He, she said, you are the God who sees me. She said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Genesis 16, 13. Will you just pray with me? Holy Spirit, as we come alongside others, you join us. 
Help us as we look in the eyes of the poor and the marginalized. May we find friendship and we may we meet Jesus anew. Thank you. And I don't know who's asking. I'm going to invite up Tyrese to share. Sometimes we have stories where we can see where we can see things and it seems really good, and sometimes it's a little bit harder. Hey church, it's like Josh said, my name is Tyrese and um, I work for a, a local nonprofit where we advocate for uh, those who are facing imminent homelessness um, and or are living in subpar living conditions. And our clients, well my clients in particular, you know, they look to me, uh, when I meet them, you know, they're full of fear and they're anxious because most often than not, without my help, you know, they'll be out on the street. And in that fear, uh, you know, they can, they can say some harsh things. You know, I, I guess I'll say, that um, in the field that I work, I'll just restart. I'm an attorney, and um, you know, when I go to court, I you know advocate for these clients, and I don't work in a just system. That might be news to some of you, but you know, the law isn't always fair. And when you're seeking justice, as you all may know, it's an uphill battle. And I, I can't always deliver because in my field of work, what I can do is, is limited to what the law says that I can do. And when I can't deliver, you know, my clients can sometimes, as I said, say some harsh things, you know, you're not doing enough. I was looking for you to help me out. You didn't deliver. You should have been doing more and, you know, Particularly, particularly in this year, after I got yelled at by a client who I wasn't able to deliver for, I just sat back in my office and I said to myself, you know, I work hard and like this job is emotionally taxing, draining. I go home and I'm just drained. And I said to myself, you know, I don't deserve this at all. I could be doing something else. And I think in that moment, um, you know, God spoke to me and said, you know, you don't really deserve, you know, what I give you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but it's true. And, you know, and that just struck me and I'm like, and I just kind of just repented, and I'm just like, you know, you're, you're totally right, and I'm sorry, and I got back to work. <laughs> um, so I'll say that just to, you know, just to say, Holy Spirit, will you just fill me um, and this church with just more patience, more perseverance, and even when the world say that we aren't enough, that we are enough, and 
Yeah, just pray for our city. In your name, amen. I call up serenity. I was first a pen pal to my biological father. Makes you tilt your head or squint your eyes in wonderment, right? You might have begun to wonder why. Why would a child be writing their parent versus talking to, spending time, or just being there with them? It's not because he was seldom home due to being a sought after professional who traveled the world like his first daughter grew up to become. It's not because he was an accomplished Michelin star chef who spent 14 plus hours in world renowned kitchens like Per Se and the French Laundry alongside his dear friend Thomas Keller who took care of him a lot. No. It's because he lived in a prison. Back then, he resided at a maximum security prison in upstate New York. You know Attica, the one known for the famous uprising. He was sent there to prison to serve out his crime before mandated deportation to Jamaica. This is where both my biological parents are from. Knowing that my biological father was locked up was how I first came to know that there was such a place called a prison. He would send letters and I threw them out for years out of resentment. I was deeply hurt by the reality that a series of his poor decisions could lead to his absence and my abandonment. I was mad, mad, grieved, grieved because of the negative effects these statistics forced upon me because he made the decision to choose cannabis and cocaine over his children and his calling for culinary art. Eventually, my heart softened. And at some point while I was in college, I listened to peers give testimony about losing their fathers, one to gun violence at the hands of law enforcement. Another lost her father because she decided to love a woman over a man and the main man in her life abandoned her. Others to the pandemic of the generational curse that runs rampant in the parental lines of families, absenteeism, addiction, slavery, domestic violence, uh, adultery, and so on. I was moved to my core as I heard them share how they do anything to have their dad in their life if they showed a desire to be, even if the father was a terrible one. It took God to convict me and move me with these words. So I decided that I would read the next letter he sent. And when he did, I was blown away by what I saw. I saw a man, not like 
the three-fifths of a man, you know, but a man of academic intelligence and excellence. His writing and his penmanship was outstanding, likened unto a lawyer or a PhD student. I was shocked that this well-written letter was from someone who was considered a criminal in prison because the stories that I was told growing up were that they weren't worth nothing and that they were uneducated. Now, these are clearly lies from the pit of hell and I rebuke them, but I digress. I was moved by his humility and remorsefulness. He wanted to know how sorry he was to have missed out on my life and expressed a deep desire to redeem that, to have a fresh slate, forgiveness, a second chance, if I'd give him the honor. I said yes to hope and mercy. For the first time, I actively chose to forgive someone I promised myself I would never. Walking out my faith, I got to witness and grow close with a man that I didn't know, yet got to know and relate to through writing. A beautiful relationship ensued. The reality of all this sparked something within me that I was able to put language to several years later in our mass incarceration group, where we tapped into scriptures that I'd never read before, that wrote plainly about injustice and God's heart for justice, where we read books like Just Mercy and New Jim Crow and watched documentaries like 13th. It changed so much within me. This was the continuum of my personal transformation, the igniting of a flame whose flickering embers lit up what I call revolution within me. I began to ask questions centered around justice and how to show up. I joined members of the church here at ECV and some at the Divinity School. I'm asking similar questions. How could we be a part of the change we wish to see? Where would God send us? To whom? To do what? At that point, in the fourth quarter of 2016, I left my career and devoted myself to kingdom ministry, to volunteering and doing the work of Jesus, the work that he called us to do in Matthew 25. Hungry, you fed me. Naked, you clothed me. In prison, you visited me. Commissioned, I was to do the work without hesitation or delay. In 2017, ECV started our prison ministry at York, York Correctional Institution is an all-women's prison in East Lyme, Connecticut, or Niantic, some say. The earliest we could get into York, we were there. I gotta tell you, it was and is a process. Pages of paperwork that require all of your private information, including your social, a long orientation and a handbook thicker than the Constitution telling you all the things that are contraband, including human touch. But we got in. There were lots of obstacles out the gate and we experienced them when we got through the gate and the security clearance. But when we made it through, it was a glorious time, every time. We got to meet sister friends like Miss Gwen, Miss Pat, LaRoya and Tiana and Sonia. We would go around and say our names, which was so dignifying to them. We would do an icebreaker, which always helped us to know each other more. We'd sing worship songs, which was their favorite part of our time. We would read scripture, uh, Lectio Divina, the text, see what jumped out. We'd reflect 
And here you'd see light bulbs go off where the women were engaging with the Bible in a way like they never before have. It was very transformative. We'd share testimony, pray, and receive their handwritten prayer requests and worship again to close. Every time was a rich time. I never wanted to leave, and I always wanted to go back. Amongst the blockages of lockdowns and the enemy moving through people at the prison prohibiting us from going in, the prison ministry upended with the COVID-19 pandemic. We thought of many ways to go into the prison without physically being there and discovered blocks at every turn. When you're a volunteer within the DOC, you're not able to connect with anyone on the inside, even through writing. That too is contraband. But we still needed to find a way in to stay connected and loving on the women. Reverend Joan Cooper Burnett suggested sending letters, especially during the holidays, when, which are the hardest times for the women. She also said we could send videos on DVD with teachings so the women can experience them. Then in the fourth quarter of 2023, she said there was an opening that could bring us back during the holidays and beyond. I was asked to be the minister of music for the 2023 Christmas service, and there was a lockdown the morning of as I was heading there. I think I cried all day. I was so disappointed. I share all of this to share that I clearly have a heart for this ministry. Since I was a kid, I didn't choose the prison ministry, serving and loving on incarcerated people chose me. It is our duty as the body of Christ to show up as the Father mandates us through his word and as the Holy Spirit leads. Join me um, in this call to action. So we have these handouts, which you'll see behind me and we'll pass them around if you uh, feel called to them. But essentially, yeah, letters to our loved ones. <laughs> Who will we write to? Um, the, uh, before I say this, um, I should name that we feel it's important to just write letters to our loved ones on the inside. And so, who will we write to? The woman at York, but not limited to. We will write to anyone the Spirit leads us to. It can be your mother, father, sister, brother, cousin, friend, or child. You can feel free to let us know if um, anyone you know needs some loving encouragement and to feel seen through letters. Uh, when will we send these letters? Uh, we hope to do them monthly, often, as the Holy Spirit leads. And we'll gather monthly to write together uh, in a hybrid fashion, um, in person and virtually for those who can't make it. Um, it'll probably be at my house or something. So, um, can I send letters on my own, you might ask. Yes. All you need is stamps and envelopes and a safe return address. Um, and of course, who you're sending it to and their inmate number. If you don't have the tools to send um, from your home or office, give or send the letters to us and we will mail them. We have envelopes and stamps. And if you're not someone who's able to handwrite, you can type and print a document that we can send in. What should I write? Um, yeah, you can include the following information on your letter to your loved one on the inside, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure if I should just keep going or keep reading. 
Um, I'll just keep reading. Um, yeah, I would encourage you to use warm and loving words, like introduce yourself, share a prayer, share one of your favorite scriptures, and just remind them that God loves them. Always include your pen pal's name and inmate number when addressing the envelope and your letter. Be careful to be accurate and write legibly or your letter will be returned. Um, use blank or lined paper, stationary note cards or simple greeting cards. Not any extra stuff because those are considered contraband. Always use a safe return address. And if you don't already have one, let us know and one will be provided. Any questions, please reach out to our prison ministry. The email there, prison ministry at homecityvineyard.org. With love. Heavenly Father, hmm. break our hearts for what breaks yours. Move us, form us, shape us, lead us. Send us, release us, Lord, to do what you tell us to, what you call us to, what you commission us to, according to your word. And give us peace in knowing that as we choose to go with you, you go before us, you're behind us, and you're in every part of the journey. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for each of us and specifically for our poor, for the poor in spirit, Lord. And yeah. that your kingdom will come and your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can you all please give a round of applause for all the people that shared and testified? We do what we can, not what we cannot. We are moved by the Spirit to do this work we don't do it individually, we do it as a body. I want to invite you uh, to just receive. I'm going to share a few words that our prayer ministers, even listening, just highlighted to say, I think the Spirit's on this phrase. And I'll invite the worship team to come up. That's all we're going to do right now, is just share uh, just a word or phrase uh, from these testimonies. There's a scriptural story where people are walking with someone, they don't know who it is, it's a strange man, and it turns out they're walking with Jesus. And what they say is that their hearts are warmed within them. And I just want to invite you, if your hearts are warmed, uh, join a prayer minister. And prayer ministers, you can move to the side. Join a prayer minister to stand with you and to pray with you. So I'm going to read a few of those phrases. And if you respond to them, please get prayer. We're going to have a song or two of worship. I'm going to come back up just to commission us to do this work. Sometimes when we get a charge, we need to receive spiritual help to do it. I want to commission us at the very end of our service, our time together. So Holy Spirit, would you come? I'm just going to read these phrases for us. I have now seen the one who sees. From her lack, she gave. I could be doing something else. A series of poor decisions could lead to my abandonment.
grace. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see? It's hard to see people who can talk, who can engage, who can ask. There's a question of what will be asked of me, but the same is true of our Savior. And if we're not believing that, I'm not sure if we're talking to Jesus. Jesus, let ourselves be open to what you will ask of us. Holy Spirit, would you give us encouragement to be people who bridge gaps, to know and love those who are poor and marginalized, those who are oppressed? God, would you give us resources and would you give us encouragement, which is a gift of your Spirit to encourage us? Holy Spirit, use these songs, use this time of prayer ministry to just uh, get our body ready. And then also, Holy Spirit, would you be with us as we receive a charge, receive a commissioning to go out and be your hands and feet. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.